Today we'll be reading in Mark 12, 28 through 34. Um, and the, pew in your, uh, the Bible in your pew will be on page 1061. Verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. How's it been going with this uh, series on the gospel so far? Uh, it's been pretty interesting to me, at least. And uh, in this last week, we launched into, I don't know, about um, 20, 25 of us or so, uh, launched into a Bible reading plan through the gospel of, according to Matthew. And uh, you can, we, we're doing that through Bible.com or their Bible app on uh, phones and devices, but you can do it on a computer either. And uh, if you're missing out on Matthew, we'll, we'll be doing Mark soon, so uh, stay tuned in. And it's been pretty neat to read through the Gospels together. Uh, we're in this series looking at the Gospel and reminding ourselves that the Gospel is not a tract. The Gospel is not a set of ideas. The Gospel is not uh, some theological concepts. The Gospel is the message that contains the story of Jesus Christ who, who we believe is God incarnate, who took on flesh, the very flesh that He had wrapped around us when He created the world. We believe that Jesus came, took on flesh, walked among us, lived died for our sins and rose from the dead, that He then ascended into heaven, that He sent His Holy Spirit to help us live His kind of life as if we are already in the kingdom that will come fully when He returns. And, and so we've been looking through the gospel, the, the life, death, resurrection accounts of Jesus Christ. And there's four of them contained in your New Testament that uh, are all very consistent. That Jesus lived, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again. And on what that means for you and for me. We believe that Jesus came to offer the kind of life that sin and hell stole. And one of the ways that He did that was by teaching us a new way to live. I want to talk to you about commands today. Commands is something that we're not typically big fans of, most of us. Sounds a lot like rules. So I want to ask you, and this is not a loaded question, I want you to be honest. Now imagine that, being honest in church. How do you feel about following rules? And we're just going to do a show of hands here. I want you to raise your hand if you're kind of a... a goody good like me and you think following rules is really really important <laughs> yeah 
you know, Julie and I are trying to be more strict about our, our budget uh, in 2018. And, and we're both, like, rules are really important. And, and so we're not liking it very much sometimes. <laughs> um, how many of you, though, you'd say rules are more like guidelines? Guidelines. We've got a few of those. We've got a few. Uh, and how many would say rules are made to be broken? <laughs> a couple of honest people in the room. Rules are made to be broken. You know, if we were, you know, yes, we all kind of have our general philosophies about rules, but really we all know that there's different kinds of rules. And, and there's some, like, don't kill people, that we would probably, everyone in this room, say, that's really, really important. Uh, there's others that, uh, you know, you might say, well, that's really just kind of more of a, a guideline. And then there's some, like, the speed limit is 35, uh, that we all understand is made to be broken. You need to go at least 36 or people get mad at you, right? <laughs> you know, you, you, there's some rules that seem made to be broken. It's interesting, we, we kind of are, I'm surprised really that that many people said that rules, following rules is really, really important because we live in a culture in a time that, that is very kind of allergic to rules, we don't like rules unless we made the rules, right? That's the only good rule, is the rule we made. Or at least the rule we agreed with. And if someone makes a rule that we don't agree with, that conflicts with our personal ideas of what is true and right and good or, uh, or good for us, then we don't put much stock in that. It's interesting that maybe because of our allergy to rules... Uh, the way that people view Jesus seems to have been affected by it. We are, a lot of people are fine with Jesus. They're, they have a problem with the church. And they feel like the church has a bunch of rules. Uh, whereas Jesus, you know, was not a rules guy, right? He came to abolish rules, apparently. The Old Testament was a rules thing. Uh, Jesus, not so much. And that's why people like Jesus, right? In our culture. Uh, but, you know, I have to wonder, have those people read the Gospels? Have they read the Gospels? Because Jesus, I, I have yet to find a spot where he said, oh, that rule, uh-uh. That rule over there, no. In fact, all the rules, just throw them out. That's the opposite of what he said. He said, I didn't come to do away with all those rules. I came to fulfill them. And, and he would teach and he would say, you know, you've heard it said this. Well, I'm going to take it up a step. And so if anything, I would call Jesus more of a rules guy than Moses, who gave us the Ten Commandments and all that. But it's interesting what Jesus said were the most important rules. That everything else hinged on. And that's our subject today. As we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about things that Jesus taught over the next couple of weeks. But today is, is the central one. It, it's the thing that anything else he taught hangs in the balance here today. We're told that one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. I'm going to give you some background on that. Uh, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, 
of all the commandments, which is the most important? Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Um, Just some background, because we obviously are jumping in in the middle of something, right? Because this guy shows up, a teacher of the law, so he's an expert on commands, an expert on rules, and he heard them debating. Jesus had just finished whipping somebody in a debate. (laughs) He was known to do this from time to time. There were different groups, you know, think like if you went to Washington and you were a controversial figure, the Republicans might have some questions for you. And the Democrats might have some questions for you, right? The Libertarians might have some questions for you. The the Socialists might have some questions for you. There's all these different people with all these different ideas about how our society should work, and they all have, you know, uh, skin in the game, so to speak. And they want to know what you're doing, what you're up to, if you're doing something new, doing something different. And in that day, uh, politics weren't separate from religion or any other aspect of life. It was kind of all wrapped up and bundled up together. And so in the Jewish culture, there were really about four what they called sects. Think like sections, um, groups in their society. We're most, in, in the church, you know, if you grew up reading the Bible and things like that, we're most familiar with Pharisees and then Sadducees. And if you really read it, you might have heard of Zealots which were kind of new to the game, uh, they were the ones that said, hey, let's just pick up a sword and take Rome out. And then there was a group we don't hear about as much, probably because they were hiding out in the wilderness somewhere, and they were called the Essenes. And their idea was just escape. Just get out of town. Let's just focus on worshiping God and forget the rest of the world. And that's where, actually, if you're familiar with the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls that they found hidden out in a cave somewhere, they kind of think that that may have been from the Essenes or a group like them. Uh, that, you know, that's why it's out in a cave somewhere in the middle of nowhere, right? That's, that's where they hung out. Um, and then you had the two main groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that were kind of the big power brokers in that day. They were the, the Democrats and Republicans, for lack of a better uh, example. They had different ideas about God. They had different ideas about religion. They had different ideas about the temple and about the Jewish people. And they had different ideas about Rome. The Sadducees were known to kind of cozy up to Rome. To kind of secure their power. They didn't really think a lot about like supernatural things. Everything was very logical for them. You know, yes, they followed the law or whatever, but it was for logical, reasonable reasons. Uh, they didn't believe in crazy things like the resurrection of the dead that the Pharisees believed in. And so when Jesus shows up in their midst, talking as though he's in charge, acting as though he's in charge, and, and the Sadducees believed they were in charge, they were the high priests by lineage. They, they had a claim to running the temple. And sometimes Pharisees managed to get into the, the ruling class as well. And those were the, kind of the two main groups. And when Jesus shows up acting like he runs the place, they've got questions for him, right? And so immediately preceding this verse, we have Jesus in a kind of a showdown with some Sadducees who basically in a nutshell uh, are trying to debunk resurrection 
Maybe they're trying to find out where Jesus stands on resurrection. So they give him this scenario, this outlandish scenario, uh, to try and show how ridiculous the concept of resurrection is. And Jesus gives them such an answer uh, that you must have left all the Pharisees kind of snickering to see the Sadducees shown up. And so maybe this guy is like, wow, that was good. I'm going to just you know, check in with this guy and see where he stands with us Pharisees. Uh, because we're all about the law. And if he was a, a teacher of the law, most likely he was a Pharisee. And so he came. He heard them debating. He noticed that Jesus gave a good answer. So he asked Jesus, Jesus, if you were stranded on a desert island and could only take one command of God with you, which one would you take? <laughs> Something like that. Which one would be most important? And so Jesus begins his answer. And he doesn't give one rule. He gives two instead. And he pulls them from the law of Moses. Because, I mean, that's what the guy's asking. Of all the commands that Moses gave us, which are the greatest? Which are the most important? And so Jesus hits a home run with the first one. It's probably what the teacher of the law would have said. It's probably what any Jew would have said if you had to say, what is the greatest command? Because to this day, Jewish people, practicing Jews, repeat this as a prayer daily, multiple times a day. This is called the Shema. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Which was huge. Huge in Jesus' day, certainly when it came from Moses. Back when Deuteronomy and all this was being written down, or when it was being delivered to the people even before Deuteronomy was written down, this was big because no one worshipped one God. They worshipped many gods. They had a God for this and a God for that. And this people had their God and that people had their God. The idea that there was one God over everything was brand new with the Jews. Now there's several groups that claim this statement. Basically, any monotheistic religion that believes in one God traces its roots back to Abraham and all this belief that stemmed from the Jewish people uh, whether you're talking Islam or Christianity or Judaism or any version thereof and, he, and, the, and Moses goes on and says love the Lord your God then with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and Jesus says this is it and, and actually in Deut- Deuteronomy 5 right before this we have the Ten Commandments which if you want to divide them up have to do with loving God to start with but then they break into kind of new territory and so Jesus feels like he can't just leave it at one command yes this is the obvious one this is the one that people in his day would have said yeah that, that's, the, that's the greatest command but, but Jesus follows it up with a second command why? well sometimes you need a second command to explain the first command or how it works, right? If, you, if I asked you, what is the greatest command when it comes to 
uh, guns, let's say, because that's something, you know, we're in Louisiana. Let's talk guns. All right? Greatest command. We might say, treat every gun as if it's loaded. That'd be an all right one. Uh, but then someone might say, okay, does that mean if I see a gun, I should shoot it? <laughs> does that mean if I see a gun, I should unload it? Does that mean, you know, what, what exactly does that mean? That I should treat every gun as if it's loaded. And so you might follow that up and say, don't point it at anyone or anything that you don't want to hit. <laughs> treat every gun as if it's loaded. That means be careful where you point the thing. Right? It needs a necessary follow-up so you can understand the greatest command. And Jesus seemed to think that it required a follow-up. And so he takes, again, a law from Moses, but this time it's one that perhaps would have been more controversial or surprising. This was not a verse that every Jew prays every day or anything like that. In fact, in the NIV Bible that I was looking at this week, it was under the heading, Various Laws. And with this various laws group of things, you can also find commands like, uh, do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Would you put that in the greatest? <laughs> uh, you know, do not mate different kinds of animals. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of materials. And in this pile of various laws and commands in Leviticus... Jesus pulls this one out from 1918. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. How did he pick that one? Why, why did he decide that that one needs to be up on the pedestal with love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? Let's see how Jesus put it all together. He said, The most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. To which the guy replied, Well said. You are right. This expert confirms you know, I'm sure Jesus was waiting for his approval. But uh, this expert confirms that you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. And to love him with all your heart and all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Why would this guy agree? I think he was a smart guy. And he looked at the Ten Commandments and he said, yeah, the first half talk about loving God, the second half, talk about how to love people. So really, these two put together do pretty much sum up all of the laws. And at least the spirit and intent of all of the laws. So, he says, they're more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, I assume they're standing in the temple because I don't think Sadducees got out much. <laughs> and that's quite a statement to say in the temple. 
that anything is more important than all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices because the burnt offerings and sacrifices was what happened at the temple and the temple was everything to Judaism. It was their national symbol. It was how they got a right relationship with God. It was, the, it was their claim to being the people of God. That God came and made His dwelling amongst them. And this guy is willing to say loving God and loving your neighbor is more important than the temple. More important than all the offerings you could ever offer. All the worship you could ever do. It's a pretty bold statement. So Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're on to something here, friend. Now I want to point something out. Because not only was that guy making a pretty bold step in saying that these two commands were greater than anything going on at the temple, Jesus was doing something uh, that probably wasn't approved of by everyone there. He was sort of uh, cherry-picking scripture, we might say. He was uh, doing something that he can only get away with because he's Jesus. People used to say Jesus, when he taught, taught different than all the other rabbis taught. That he taught as someone with authority. And I think this may be kind of what they meant. Because Jesus selects, love your neighbor as yourself. But what he meant by that, and what Moses meant by that, seem to be different things. See, if you put the uh, love your neighbor as yourself in the context, it's talking specifically about amongst your people. Who is a neighbor? Well, a neighbor is your fellow Jew. Love your neighbor. It's clearly the context when you read the passage. But Jesus removes it from that context and clearly, consistently, throughout his teachings, broadens it in a way that people in his day were not comfortable with, to say the least. He would say things like, love your enemies. He would treat people with love who no Jew thought ought to be treated with love. And a different, perhaps, maybe the same later, but I believe a different teacher of the law would come to him on another day and say, what do you think of the greatest commands? And Jesus said, what do you think? And this guy must have heard Jesus before because he gives the identical answer. But he's just setting Jesus up. Because then he says, well, who is my neighbor? See, they've had time to think since the first exchange. He gave a good answer, but what exactly does this guy mean by love your neighbor? And that's when Jesus tells the famous parable that we call the Good Samaritan. They wouldn't have called it the Good Samaritan. Because there's no such thing as a Good Samaritan. In their opinion. And Jesus tells this story, we studied it on Wednesday night actually, of this guy who was traveling down the steep, winding road. 
from Jerusalem down to Jericho when he was waylaid by robbers as was sometimes known to happen. And he's laying there on the side of the road and a priest and a Levite come by and they just step aside. Now, if the priest and the Levite came by and they stepped aside, this means that they were coming from the, the direction to Jerusalem. They were on their way to serve in the temple. They had a job to do. And nothing was more important than their service in the temple, right? Because that was the place. That was the thing. The, nothing was more important, right, than their duties at the temple. The offerings, the sacrifices. And so they couldn't touch the man. That would make them unclean. And they wouldn't be able to fulfill their duties at the temple. And the temple was the most important thing to them. Then along comes a Samaritan. An enemy of Israel. Who helps the man. doesn't just help the man. right? It's lavish. It's, ex- it's extensive. What he does, he talk about going the extra mile, right? He goes the extra mile, and then Jesus changes the question. He doesn't answer the question. The question asked was, "Who is my neighbor?" Jesus changes the question and says, "Who was a neighbor?" See, Jesus could have just answered the question without the story. He could have just said, uh, "Well, the neighbor is anyone." It could be a Samaritan. It could be a Roman. And they probably would have stoned him on the spot. Or he could have said, well, it's your fellow Jew. And they probably would have cheered him on the spot. Instead, he tells this story. Now, I have a theory. I'm going to share it with you, but I want you to keep in mind that it's only a theory. (laughs) It is only a theory. Uh, But... I have a theory, and I may change it later, but my theory is that it's possible that something very much like what Jesus described in this parable had actually taken place at some point in recent history that they were mindful of. They would be mindful of it if it did, because that sort of thing didn't happen. Samaritans weren't nice. <laughs> you know, they, they weren't supposed to be nice, and Jews weren't supposed to be nice to them, so it would have been noticeable if something like that happened. Now the reason that I have this theory is, is two things. One, Jesus sometimes told parables that we know are rooted in things that had actually happened. Uh, like the one that he told about there was a king that went away uh, to gain his kingship, and the people didn't want him to be their king, so they sent a delegation ahead of him to ask that he not be made king. And when that guy was made king anyway, and he came back, he gathered up those people. (laughs) Yeah. So Jesus told this story. Well, that had actually happened. When Herod Archelaus had gone to Rome to get crowned king, and the Jews in Jerusalem didn't want him to be their king, so they sent a delegation of 50 people, and they came back, and it didn't work out, and it didn't work out for the 50. <laughs> it didn't work out good. And so people knew that story. Jesus used it as a parable. So sometimes he's known to do this. Uh, he also, there's other instances where he referenced things that to us you know, sounds like a metaphor, or he's you know, talking in parables, uh, and it actually references things that, uh, that we know about from history. Now, we can't know everything 
right? And so it's entirely possible that there may be other stories that Jesus told that were rooted, at least loosely, in something that, had, that people were familiar with. The second reason that I have this theory that it could be the case is the way that the story just shut people up. There was, I mean, no argument. It got the point across powerfully. And it just makes sense to me that it would definitely do that if they knew of a case where a Samaritan or a Roman or some enemy of theirs had treated them more kindly than they would in turn. Because the point of this story is for them to feel ashamed. That they've been placing the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the, the trappings of religion over the commands of God to love God and to love your neighbor. Even though that one command, I said, you know, among your people, uh, is taken in that context, there's lots of places throughout the Old Testament where God is very clear about how to treat foreigners, how to treat strangers in your midst. And it's never be a jerk to them. <laughs> love your neighbor. And so Jesus lays out his greatest commands. And if we want to be Jesus' followers, we need to take note. Love God with all of yourself. Love people as much as yourself. These are the greatest. Everything else hangs on these. If you want to know how to love God well, love your neighbor as much as yourself. What do we do with this? The first thing is to recognize how important it is. These two commands are more important than anything else you think is important about serving God or following God or being a Christian. More important than any religious thing that you do More important than whether you drink or cuss or hang out with people that do or whatever. Uh, Though, if you follow these commands, you'll find it sorting out all sorts of things in your life. More important than whether you go to church or what church you go to or what kind of music they play. Love God with all yourself and love people as much as yourself. Now, I don't say that it's more important than all that stuff because I don't think that stuff's important. Obviously, as as a pastor, I think it's important to go to church. If I didn't think it was important to be a part of a church and a community of faith, I'd pick a different job, right? (laughs) So, obviously, I think that's a pretty high priority, but it does not compare to the greatest command. Love God with all of yourself. Love people as much as yourself. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. I want to ask you, first of all, take inventory. How well are you loving God with all of yourself? Are there parts of yourself that are kind of off limits for God? 
Are you loving God well with your finances? Are you loving God well with your choices? With the way that you treat people? Are you loving God well when you go to work on Monday, which is tomorrow, sorry. (laughs) When you show up at work tomorrow, are you loving God well with the way you do your job? When you go home and sit with your family, do you love God well there? When you're all alone, do you love God well in that moment? When you're online or on social media, does God get that arena too? When you're driving down the highway and it says 35, I'm sorry. (laughs) Question number one for you. How well are you loving God with all of yourself? Question number two. I have some questions just about your neighbors. Who have you been a jerk to that you need to show some love to? this week who have you been ignoring that you should pay attention to this week who have you perhaps been a discouragement to that you need to try and be an encouragement to this week who Have you hated in your heart? Who have you held a grudge against? Bitterness towards? Resentment even? That you need to forgive? Love God as much as yourself and love, uh, sorry, with all of yourself and love people. Any of them. Any kind of them. Funny looking ones. The mean ones. Doesn't matter. Love people as much as yourself. How far should we take that? How much is too much? I mean, at some point you go on loving people like that. People are going to think you're crazy or stupid or a pushover, taken advantage of. How much is too much? I don't know. In my mind, I don't, I don't, I don't think we're called to be unwise stewards of our money and just give it away to people because we love them and until we're broke and having to be dependent on someone else but at the same time I think I'd rather risk loving too much and maybe not always being wise with it than to risk being really wise and perhaps not loving enough 
So if you have to err in some way, err in love. Because these are the greatest commands. That you love God with all of yourself. And you love people as much as yourself. Where did we get so confused about rules? That we thought that they're just arbitrary things set down by some authoritarian figure to oppress us. To cause us to jump through hoops. Moses, you know, when he shared that about loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and And he just finished giving all the Ten Commandments. And he says, write these down. Remember them. Carry them with you wherever you go. Because if you'll do these things, it will go well for you. God makes commands. Jesus makes commands. Because he knows that if we'll just follow them, it will go well for us. It will go better for us. His way is better. There's freedom found when you truly love God and love people. Freedom from jealousy and comparison. Freedom from hate and bitterness. Freedom from pursuing pleasure or wealth or power for pleasure or wealth or power's sake. There's freedom that comes in obeying the commands that Jesus gives us. They're not just good ideas. They're the best idea that ever was born. They're not just wise. They are wisdom. They're not just a way to make the world a little better. They are the way. To take back what hell has stolen. It's not just a pathway for you to become a better person. It's the way to become who you are truly meant to be. It's the path back to true, truly what it means to be human. In the way we were designed to start with. I don't know where you're at with God and with Jesus and with this message and maybe most of you, you're already trying your best to love God and love people and so hopefully this has just challenged you to step it up a notch in some specific ways in your life. Some areas in your life where you need to love God better. Some areas in your life or some people in your life that you need to love better. Uh, But if you're not sure where you're at with Jesus and you're still kind of trying to work out how this whole faith thing works out, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that these two commands are inseparable according to Jesus. That you cannot have a right relationship with God doing only one of these. They are not an either or scenario. You can't be a super religious person who really loves God and then treat your neighbor as a jerk and think you have a right relationship with God. You don't. According to Jesus. And you can't just be a really nice person who just really looks out for their fellow man. 
always thinking of others first and not give a rip about God. That not long to worship Him and love Him. It doesn't work that way. You, there's only one way to operate the way we were designed to operate and to be in a right relationship with your Creator. And that's to do what He says. Love God with all of yourself and love people as much as yourself. Without both, you'll never do either very well. And your life will never be what it was meant to be. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your commands, for they are life. We confess, God, that we tend to be lovers of self first. Holy Spirit, change us, transform us into people who love you and love others like Jesus taught us to. Amen.